It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Cincinnati Reds' focus on in-house developed pitchers will pay off in droves in 2022 as the pitching staff looks to be even better this year. And with opening day one day away, we're going to tell you why the Reds are going to be better at hitting left-handed pitching thanks to their prep work over the offseason. That's all coming up on today's Locked on Reds. You are Locked on Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds with myself, Jeff Carr, and Stephen Offenbaker is actually joined by John Sadak, play-by-play voice of the Cincinnati Reds, coming up here in just a moment. He's going to break down the roster with Steve. I actually wasn't present for this conversation, but it was a great one. You're not going to want to miss it as they break down the pitching staff. They talk about why Tyler Malley is going to be even better this year. They're going to look at Hunter Green. They're going to talk about this bullpen that is loaded with young talent that sure it's got a big gap as far as you know well all right are they going to be good are they going to be bad it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out John Sadak has lots of insight where that's concerned though and we get into that conversation that Steve sits down with Red's play-by-play voice John Sadak uh, let's dig into these Reds because um, this Reds team that's going to take the field in Atlanta is uh, drastically different than the Reds f- team that left the field uh, when we saw them last at the end of last season. Uh, gone are Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker and Eugenio Suarez and Sonny Gray. Lots of guys have moved on and uh, the cast of characters coming in. Um, there's a lot of question marks. Let's start on the pitching side of things. What we know is uh, there's been a four-man rotation name to start the season in Tyler Malley with the opening day start, uh, Reaver San Martin, uh, Vladimir Gutierrez, and uh, the debut of Hunter Green. And then it's kind of wait and see on that fifth starter. So before we get into the, the starters too much... Before we get into the starters too much, uh, do you have any insight on what that fifth starter might look like? Could we see a return of Luis Castillo or Mike Miner, or could we see Nick Lodolo there? Um, I don't think you would see Castillo or Miner. I, I do think you will see them on the front part of the season. Derek Johnson had an appearance in MLB Network where he had thought May 1 was perhaps too far in the future, that Luis at least was in front of Mike and would probably – uh, rejoin the Reds in a big league capacity at some point earlier than that. Uh, but that would be prohibitively early. Um, he's throwing off a mound. He's making good progress. Uh, to, to my knowledge, neither guy's hurt. They're just delayed, you know, because they, they had their, you know, respective issues at the, the advent of camp. They're backed up, you know, a couple of weeks time from where all their teammates are. Um, yeah, I think that's possible. I mean, I, they haven't announced who that guy is going to be. Um, yeah, he had a, a great spring. I could definitely see him as being a candidate for that. Um, I also think depending upon how the bullpen usage works over the course of those first few games, there are some guys that are going to be in the bullpen that are swing options that are built up a little bit like a Tony Santillan that uh, probably doesn't give you five, but could start a game and, and you would have a, a pretty good shot to try to win it. Um, that's an excellent question. And you do have the off day then too. Uh, so, you know, you know, it got Malley's making that, uh, the home 
debut, the home opener rather, uh, he'll get that nod. Um, so it'd really be that next turn that you'd be looking at that fifth spot. So I think there's a lot of moving parts and sure. I, I think he would be a definite candidate for that. He's looked great this spring. Well, looking at this rotation, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of inexperience, uh, in what was once a very strong, uh, veteran rotation. Uh, now it's a, a very inexperienced, uh, rookie driven rotation. What kind of things will you be looking for early on out of these young pitchers, uh, to show you that they're ready for the major league level? I mean, the biggest thing is results, right? I mean, if you pitch well, and that doesn't mean every time, they're going to have some bad starts. I mean, that's going to happen to even very established names. Um, and I would just caution that I, I loved last year's team. I loved them. Um, there, there was so much a personality to that team. There was a real identity to it. It was a very easy group of guys to root for. Um, it was a flawed team. I mean, they did not make the playoffs. They were they were not the World Series favorites. And I think in the case of like two particular veterans, Sonny Gray and Wade Miley, you know, Sonny is a, a gutsy pitcher, a terrific competitor. Uh, he struggled to go innings. He's a high effort guy. He was probably going four to five. He had three stints on the injured list. He's not a young player anymore. Um, and it, that doesn't mean that he can't have a great year this year. And I hope he does. I hope he's terrific for the Twins. But the odds in baseball generally say is guys get hurt and they get older guys that get hurt, get hurt, generally speaking. Um, and Wade Miley did not have the finish to his year that you'd like to see. And while Wade had a stupendous year, two thirds of the way through, if you look at his career, it's kind of been up and down. He's had his own significant injury issues. And last I heard, he was not breaking with the Cubs because he's not ready to go this year. And if he were in a red uniform, I don't think that would have been any different. Um, so I think with these young guys, though, you're just looking for their feel of pitching and how they react to the failure. The failure is going to come, and that's okay, but avoiding the snowball effect is a big part of it. And each of them operates in such a different way. You know, San Martin is that kind of savvy, almost pitch to contact, way Miley-esque in some ways in terms of pitching with pace, likes to get ground balls, has a looseness, you know, almost a carefree nature. He's a competitor just like Wade is, but you get that kind of vibe watching him pitch and talking to him. Um, Vladimir Gutierrez had some slower starts last year, and, you know, we saw that a little bit this spring too. I don't. Is that a systemic thing? Is there anything to it? Is it coincidental? Um, th that'd be something to see him consistently put together starts again where right out of the gate he kind of has that rhythm. Um, you know, David Bell had said he thought – perhaps pitch selection could have been some of the issues that he had when he struggled. Uh, and then he took advantage of the, the rule that many teams have done this spring where he was able to be removed and go back in. And from the second inning on, he was great, but that first inning was a little rough. Um, and Hunter green, you know, he has great velo. Uh, the give and take of that is going to be that you know, when he gets hit, the hitter doesn't have to do a whole lot of work. You know, the pitch is going to do a lot of the work for the hitter if he gets square. Uh, but I've been highly encouraged Having only watched him previously from the minors, you know, video, he looks a lot cleaner in his delivery and decisively the, the breaking ball, the slider and the changeup are much, much better pitches. Um, if anything, that's where the fastball can kind of be both a great weapon and a curse, right? It's got tremendous velocity. His command for it is really good. Uh, but there are some times where major league hitters, even at 102, 103, 104, put it in the zone enough, they get enough of a look at it. It can be a hittable pitch. And that's where finding that sweet spot of how do major league lineups respond and how do you keep them off balance? Um, I, I think we're going to watch them learn as much about themselves as we're learning about them. 
because there is no facsimile for facing a major league lineup. I mean, I think particularly pitching, and I think this is true of hitting to some extent as well, but I think it, I personally believe it leads even more to pitching. It's kind of a sink or swim enterprise. Like, can a guy be successful in the big leagues? Well, have him go be in the big leagues. Then you'll find out. Tyler Malley is going to take that next step into the upper echelon of elite pitchers starting this season. And the bullpen might actually be better than you think it's going to be. That's coming up in just a moment. Thanks again for making Lockdown Reds your first listen of the day. We're free and available on all platforms, including right here on YouTube. Make sure you're subscribed. That way you don't miss anything that we've got coming for you. As the season rolls along, it starts tomorrow. We've got so much great stuff coming for you. Exclusive content that will be coming right here on YouTube. So make sure you're following the YouTube page. All right, back to the conversation between Steve and John Sadak. Uh, with the the churn in the pitching staff, uh, Tyler Malley finds himself being the grizzled veteran as this group kind of takes the the field to begin the 2022 campaign. Now, Malley has has shown real flashes of of true greatness at the MLB level, um, but uh, he suffered from what we've been calling, uh, you know, the the tale of two Malleys with the uh, road Malley and home Malley last year, and the struggles that he had at Great American Ballpark versus how he pitched on the road. Do you? believe that was maybe more of just a, a blip and that this year he's going to really have it dialed in and be more consistent as the, the bulldog of this rotation to start the season. I do. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, it, it was a significant gap, but every time we brought it up to Tyler, he was very dismissive and, and not in a, an angry way. I, he was very even keeled about it. Um, I think he believed that it was more coincidental and circumstantial than anything else. Um, and, and I tend to lean on the players feel of themselves. I mean, they, they are their own harshest critics. Like they, they will readily be able to point out all of their flaws and ways they can get better. And if he didn't think that was a concern, then I don't think that's that much of a concern. Um, I, I do like the fact that he's added a cutter. I mean, I, I think having that extra pitch that moves a little differently, that's going to you know keep the hitter's eye in a different spot and keep them a little bit more honest. Um, yeah. He, he is someone who I think when you look at his year end numbers, they almost surprise you a little bit because when you watch him every single day, he can have innings that can labor a little bit. You know, he can have a lot of deeper counts. There are times where you want him to finish a guy off earlier or faster, but yeah, you, know, you know, he wants to do that too. He would love to just throw one pitch and get every single guy out or throw three and strike everybody out. Um, and, but I think that cutter could be a difference maker for him. And uh, I thought last time out, his split was the best it's looked all spring. That's his, that's the, the pitch. I mean, if there's any one that's the true put away, that's a, the, the best of the best. He's got excellent velocity. He's very willing and able to throw into both sides of the plate. Um, and I, I, I like his overall aggression. Yeah, I, I like how he wants to really pound the zone. He racks up a ton of strikeouts. By today's standards, he pitches a lot of innings. Uh, he's an incredibly stable arm who's going to produce a good ERA. And almost every time he starts, you're going to have a chance to win the game. And that's the ultimate thing that you want out of a pitcher. You get that level of effort, stuff, and he's competitive. He's going to give you a chance to win. He does everything that you want a starting pitcher to do. 
let's stick with the pitching just a little bit longer, but let's jump into the bullpen. Now, uh, obviously, uh, TJ Antone is not going to pitch this year. He's got his second Tommy John. Um, he's out for the long term. And although, you know, he's optimistically saying he'll pitch to minor leaguers by the end of the year, uh, we, we're not going to see him. Uh, Lucas Sims is delayed, and I'm not quite sure what his status is. Hopefully you can uh, provide a little bit of insight to that, as well as just kind of maybe the top two or three arms that you see in this bullpen with, with those two big guys, you know, either out or delayed uh, some other guys are really going to have to step up step up early on in order to uh take care of the back end of these ball games yeah and i think uh, i think you'll see the bullpen used in a similar fashion to last year there won't be an anointed closer there won't be a guy in the ninth inning but there will be guys that gravitate to whatever the coaching staff believes the highest leverage spots are and that sometimes might be in the seventh that could be in the eighth you know it could be starter gets yanked that's what antone did probably more than anything else you got two runners on and perhaps even the sixth or seventh inning it's a one or two run game that's when they would use Antone and he would usually begin the next inning as well, but get us out of this jam and then bridge the way in another big inning against the meaty part of the order. Um, you know, Lucas, I've, I've seen him out there getting his work in, you know, it, he is much like Luis and Mike Minor. He's just delayed because he had his setback in the early stage of camp. Um, I, I don't think they'll be without him for too long. And uh, you know, he's a high effort guy who's got great stuff probably profiles as their most potent single bullpen option. If you were to have a de facto closer without anointing a true title of that, he's probably the guy based on stuff and prior performance that matches up most in that, that way. Um, of the other pieces that are there though, I'm encouraged by a lot. And probably the name that I love the most is Tony Santiago. He has guts. I mean, that guy is constantly in the zone. Uh, I could see him starting still at some point later in his career. I love him in the bullpen. I love him in the bullpen. He can give you multiple innings. He has no fear. He's able to execute everything. Um, he just looks sharp. There's a toughness and a swagger that I think relievers need to possess. And that man has it in a quiet, simple, confident way. Uh, and I think he has the universal respect of his teammates. Um, but I also think in addition, like Hunter Strickland, um, is a guy who has partially closed. He's, he's more been a bridge guy, but a veteran dude who really knows how to pitch. He's been a part of multiple championship clubs. Um, he's had some really good outings. He's kept the walks down. He's in the zone a lot. Um, Ryan Hendricks looks like a different dude. You know, he added a two-seamer. He added a change. He added another breaking ball. Um, I mean, he's at a point where he almost has enough, like uh, he has starter-like variety, and he's been executing everything. Um there were times last year where it looked like the moment, you know, maybe was a little much for him, but that after his initial success, he, when he was called upon in bigger spots, he didn't necessarily always feel that greatest sense of confidence. I don't feel that this year. When I see him pitch in those spots, he's looked cleaner and better. When I've talked to him, you can see how happy and loose he is. Uh, that was his focus was to expand his repertoire and to be able to execute it. Um, and Derek Johnson had no idea, you know, because of the lockout, so many of these guys throughout the game, they had no communication with coaching staff. So when he comes in, once, you know, it's a green light for the year and he shows, look what I added. Everybody's eyes widened like, wow, this is, this is interesting. This is unique. Uh, similar with Buck Farmer. He had spent his career in the Tiger organization and uh, Buck did a lot of work on a slider. That was not a big horizontal break pitch. And he's more than doubled that horizontal break. And he's got a fastball that's a mid-90s pitch that has some good horizontal run to it. Um, he has looked very, very good in his spring outings. 
uh, also has that same sense of confidence with him. I really adore Luis Sessa. Um, he's a guy that I think that I think could be a decent spot starter option. Um, I, I don't get the sense that that's what he'll do for this Reds team. I think he's going to be more of that bridge. You need, you know, probably more than three outs, but not quite two full innings. Um, but David Bell has brought his name up as a guy that could be in a safe situation. He would be willing and able to go to him. Um, I, I think the bullpen is in a good spot. I, I adore Art Warren. I, I see a lot of Tony Santion and Art Warren. I love how he talks to himself as he gets ready. He looks for the S for strike somewhere in the stadium before he delivers every pitch. He has that mental preparation routine. Um, yeah, I still remember his story of when he was with the team in Cleveland the night of uh, Wade Miley's no hitter, and he was one of the, he was the only Taxi Squad guy. He had gone back to the hotel because that was an hour rain delay before that game started. He was about to draw a bath just to kind of relax and give his body a rest. And then he realizes, well, Wade's got a no-no going. I, I got to get a ride down to the ballpark. Um, he has super, super stuff. Uh, excellent competitor. I think there are a lot of weapons. I think you're going to see some variety. You know, the, the bugaboo on the front half of last year's season was the bullpen. They took chances on a lot of guys that were mostly plucked from other organizations or came in different ways. And the thought was, you know, let's try to tweak something. Let's try to fix something. Let's try to maximize something they're great at. Now this is more through the pipeline of the minor leagues. You know, more of these guys are drafted, developed players within the Reds organization, several of whom have shown the ability to go out there and execute in the big leagues. You know, now the challenge is they're coming into the year knowing they're on the big league roster and they're going to be asked to do it for an entire season. Um, that's different, uh, but I'm highly encouraged by many of them. And I, I'm really eager to see, I, I think it'll kind of happen naturally to some extent, uh, but we're going to narrow in on probably two to three guys that are often in those biggest spots. And right now I think it's probably most likely going to be Sims and Santiago. The conversation flips to the position side of things. The Reds are going to be better against left-handed hitting. You just wait. Prep work over the offseason. They're ready to go. And there's a guy in the outfield that you're not going to want to forget about because he might actually take off. And that's Jake Fraley when it comes to Great American Ballpark. That's coming up here in just a moment. And if you want to take off when it comes to your snack game and when it comes to your health, you got to check out Built Bar. Built Bar is made with 100% real chocolate, but it also has the statistics of a cleanup hitter. We're talking about 130 average calories and up to 17, sometimes 18 grams of protein. Plus, they've got amazing flavors like cherry, barcia, coconut. They've got peanut butter brownie. Stuff like that sounds like it should be absolutely unhealthy for you, like a candy bar, but it's better than a candy bar. It's a built bar. Well, those stats I talk you, even four grams or less of sugar and net carbs, you've got to check them out today. Go to built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 to save 15% off your next order. They've got amazing limited time flavors plus they've got the puffs and if you haven't tried the puffs you absolutely have to protein packed marshmallows need i say more go to built.com and use that promo code locked 15 to get in on the awesomeness that is built bar Make sure you check out tomorrow's episode. We are joined by Jake Mastriani from Locked On Braves. We're going to break down everything that goes on, everything that we think is going to go on in this opening series and tell you why it's going to be, it's not going to be a split. 
It's not going to be a split. There's going to be an interesting series between the Reds and the Braves to open up this 2022 season. And there's lots to talk about that you won't want to miss. That's tomorrow's Locked On Reds crossover with Locked On Braves to get you set for opening day. Ooh, just sounds amazing saying it. And by the way, as we head into opening day, you can follow us on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs. And you can follow Steve at S. Offenbaker and follow the show at Locked On Reds. All right. Let's conclude our conversation. Well, Steve's conversation with John Sadak. I tell you what, John, the, the, the more I'm listening to you right now and, and this time of year, it just, my optimism is just bubbling over and I'm just getting <laughs> more and more excited for, for this season to start. Uh, that was a very comprehensive breakdown of the bullpen. I really do appreciate that. Let's uh, yeah. let's jump over to the other side now and look at the position players because wow, how we thought things were going to shake out maybe even as recently as a week ago has kind of been all blown up with uh, injuries here and there. Uh, there's some big news out of Goodyear. Uh, we're recording uh, on Sunday evening. Uh, we learned today that Shogo Akiyama is not going to be with this team. Uh, you know, I, I wish I could say that uh, none of us saw that coming. We kind of did at this point. Uh, this outfield is really difficult to figure out exactly what it is the Reds are going to do. We've heard a lot of talk of platoons. There are a lot of players on this team that seemingly struggle versus left-handed pitching. And I'm curious how in the outfield you see this playing out with the righty lefty splits. Yeah, I, I do think we have a chance that we're going to see different combinations out there. Um, I, I, and I think some of it's going to depend upon how results happen in the early stage of the year, because there, there was a massive issue against lefties all of last season. Um, one thing they did do in advance this year is they tweaked their training techniques for how they're going to face lefties. So they augmented uh, when they were hitting off machines, changing the angle of how the ball came in to try to not just simulate a lefty, but to kind of go beyond that and almost drop down the angle even more to overcompensate in a way um, to give them as many looks as possible. And that was something that David Bell confessed is that because if you recall, they didn't see a lot of those lefties until really when the, the collapse began, when the, the erosion of wind started to arrive. They were front-loaded. They faced a ton of right-handed pitching. And then the lefties came in waves. And he thought that perhaps they, were, they weren't as prepared as they could have been because they were only seeing righties. So there wasn't the need to look at much at, at that left side. And then when the lefty, lefty, lefty came, I think it was nine out of 12 games at one point, starting pitchers. It's really, really good ones, by the way, during that span, um, that it, it was very difficult to overcome. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, that's where Jake Fraley really uh, piques my interest. Uh, he's a guy who I think profiles that he should take a power jump, a great American ballpark. Um, it's easy to often project that based on dimensions. It doesn't always materialize, uh, but he sees a lot of pitches. He gets on base a lot. Um, that was on a relatively smaller sample size. I would think undoubtedly his plate appearance rate is going to go up a lot. Uh, but the Reds think that he is an excellent fit in that regard. And I mean, if you look at some of the teams that have had some great success, I mean, the, the, the specific example that leaps to mind is Luke Voigt with the Yankees. Luke Voigt had a hard time, you know, having a big league spot, let alone being productive. And they thought, well, at Yankee Stadium with this lineup, we project, and I'm, I'm not saying that Jake Fraley is going to be a, you know, 35 home run guy, um, but if he can be a high teens, low 20 something home run guy and work in a platoon type situation, 
and have a lot of the power coming home and otherwise being on base, dude. Uh, that's part of the philosophy that I think is getting expanded. And we're seeing that some of the outfield, he's an athlete. He can play a lot of different positions. He has four stolen bases this spring. I think it was still co-leading the cactus league coming into the weekend. Um, Tommy Pham is a guy who's got great athleticism. He, he profiles as someone who should be able to be a, a 2020 type dude with the reds. Um, that's something last year's team was terrible at. They had the lowest amount of total stolen bases and the worst stolen base percentage in baseball. And they only stole 60% of the time did they actually get the bag. They got caught 40% of the time. Um, and it was, what, 36 total steals, by far the lowest amount. Part of that's because they hit so many home runs, playing a smaller ballpark, why take that risk? And they had guys that weren't that fast, that weren't runners. Um, last year, they talked about trying to hit the ball on a line more, how to be able to just move guys, more of that old-school throwback baseball that some other teams are embracing this year, too. The Mets have basically abandoned their analytic view and have gone back hitting-wise to that very traditional line drive, just go through the ball. Um, and that's where a guy like Pham, who's coming off a bad average season, uh, but if you look at his war because of what he can do defensively for you and you look at his on-base and his slug – over the course of the aggregate of the last four years, he's a very capable hitter. And Great American Ballpark is not San Diego. San Diego's huge and plays huge. Great American Ballpark is the exact opposite. Um, I also love that, you know, he calls this his revenge tour. Uh, uh, you know, and he did say at one point, uh, I, I want to get my numbers. And he very quickly thereafter talked about, and that will lead to team success. Um, there's nothing wrong with a guy wanting to be productive. And if, if that's fuel for him, if he feels disrespected by the league because he feels that he's put together a career that was more deserving of bigger consideration in terms of years and money and by more overall teams, I like that. Players with chips on their shoulders and contract years tend to perform incredibly well. Um, and you can tell that there is a desire for that man to win. And he has a prior relationship with David Bell from the Cardinals uh, that I think should help. Uh, David talked about how when he was the assistant hitting coach, Tommy was constantly the last guy in the cage. And so the two of them spent long hitting sessions together, breaking down everything. Um, and I'm trying to remember the adjective that he used. He called him a very intense listener with how he kind of absorbs everything. Um, one thing I've noticed is that in the early start of the day in the backfields, Delino to Shields working on subtleties of base running, because this goes beyond steals. Uh, and, and David, I think, was pretty clear about this, that he doesn't necessarily want to see them double their stolen base total. He knows that that's, that's not exactly quite today's game, nor exactly what the strengths of the team are. But he does want to see them be much more efficient with how they steal bases, have a greater return, and get those other extra bags that are not steals. Go first to third, score from second, grab a base when you can on a deep enough fly ball that he thinks in the aggregate can have a, a positive impact on this team. And I, I can see that. I think that's very, very possible. Um, to, to me, like that's where the, the outfield part of it is going to come down to how's Aquino going to hit? That's a great question. You know, he had a grand slam today. When he connects, he can still do major damage. He composed a month for all ages. That's a long time ago now. You know, it's several years ago. Um, that's going to be a big part of it is what is his, what is his rate of doing damage? And I, I don't even necessarily think pure average. If, if he were in the lower 200s, that could still be super productive if it's the right type of contact and it's you're cutting down on strikeouts you're at least getting productive outs 
and that the contact that's coming is, is really impactful in the game. Um, but I think they're much better defensively too. You know, the advanced metrics, I don't know how much weight to put in them defensively. Um, you know, I give them on the broadcast because they are the industry standard right now for most people. They are how many teams are evaluating some of these fielders. Uh, but sometimes I see a number that's good or bad, and it doesn't necessarily marry up to what you see on the field. Um, but, you know, Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos, their defensive metrics, not good. In particular with Nick, I didn't feel like that added up right. I, I thought he played a more competitive right field than what the numbers showed. But the advanced numbers did not like the two of them in corner outfield. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a way better defensive outfield. And to your earlier point, you're right. It's a very young pitching staff. I think being better defensively is pretty important. They need to know that when they execute a pitch good enough to get an out, that the out is going to occur because that's where the snowball effect can, can come in. Um, and I, I'm encouraged by Nick Senzel. You know, I, I think he's coming in clearly much better shape. Um, I, by all accounts with a great attitude. Um, you know, I, I think he is eager to contribute in a very positive team friendly way. He obviously is big time talent. Uh, for him, the biggest question has been staying healthy, usually by his, you know, self-injurious injury, you know, making diving plays at the wall on the warning track. Um, I hope he's selective with that. You know, it's some, you want the guy to make the play, but you don't want to lose the guy. Um, so I, I, I'm encouraged by it. It's not going to be the power production of Winker and Castellanos. It's not. I mean, those are two elite power hitters in the game right now. They're both all-stars last year. Um, but that doesn't mean that it can't win, uh, that they're not capable of executing and that you win in a different way. All right, let's move into the infield. Now we can relatively safely look at catcher, first base and second base and know what's going on there. We've got Tyler Stevenson behind the plate, Joey Votto once again at first base and Jonathan India at second base. Shortstop and third base are a little bit more difficult questions because while we know that Kyle Farmer will be the starter at shortstop and while we know that at least against right-handed pitching, Mike Moustakis is going to be the starter uh, at third base. uh, There are some questions of who's next, who's the next man up because uh, those next men up have been riddled with injuries over the last couple of weeks. What, what do you see happening with the, uh, the roster as far as the rest of the infielders go uh, as the team breaks camp and heads towards Atlanta? Yeah, that's a great question. We recorded this on Sunday and today a talking stick, Max Schrock exited with a calf injury, the same injury that cost him a pretty good chunk of time last year. Uh, so not knowing the full severity of it or, or how long that's going to impact him what a professional great hitter who's very versatile defensively. He can play basically everywhere, but catcher and center field. Um, that's, that's a big loss. If that's a loss, Donovan Solano, I adore that man. Uh, I had him for two years broadcasting his games, triple a with the Yankees. He's a, an excellent line drive hitter, situational hitter who I think profiles to have a slight power spike, not a huge one, but a slight one, a great American ballpark. Who's a versatile defender, uh, very capable, particularly at second and third, um, yeah, and probably profiles is more of a platoon guy, but his minor league splits, because there aren't that many on the major league side, he's mainly been used in that platoon fashion. He was really good to both righties and lefties. You know, the average and the power were both very, very similar. Um, he's just able to execute and put that ball in the right spot. The ideal kind of guy that you can hit and run with. Like, I, I think when he is part of the lineup, that's going to be one of the wrinkles that you'll see with this team that you very rarely would have seen under last year's because why bother? It's going to be a swing and a miss or a home run. You're not going to start the runner because you don't want to run into an out. Um, 
that's an excellent question. And Brandon Drury, um, who has a lively bat, uh, I think has had a really good spring in that regard, probably profiled to be the primary backup option after Solano had gone down. And then Drury left today's game with an injury. And I haven't heard yet the full extent of that. I mean, we'll talk to David tomorrow morning, and I would hope we'll, we'll have a kind of a prognosis for what things are looking like. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm really curious. Um, I'm very confident in Kyle Farmer. Kyle Farmer is a gamer. He played last year hurt for a good chunk of the year um, and was an all-out effort dude, making diving plays, sliding constantly. Uh, that was the what aggravated his injury the most and provided him the most pain. He couldn't do more physical damage, but he could feel a lot of pain when he extended himself that way and he played through it. Uh, so I'm very confident that Kyle will be able to go. And, of course, Jose Barrero – um, who's had his cast off when I've seen him around the facility lately, has still been able to run, has still been able to throw. Um, so he's been able to keep his body ready in that regard. I can't imagine that he'd be playing before May. I don't know exactly when, um, but coming back from that handmade injury and surgery, uh, you know, he can still be part of it. And, and who knows? I mean, he, he wants to be a shortstop. That's what he's done his whole career the game kind of decides for us, you know, like you have the, the best of plans and then need comes up. And if there's a need in the outfield, I thought he was great in the outfield last year. Um, if he fits in at short, then, you know, the question for him is whether he can hit big league pitching. Um, he's more than capable defensively. I think he's proven everything that he realistically can prove hitting wise in the minors. And I, I think for him, it's very sink or swim. The only way he can, prove or even get better at hitting big league pitching he's got to see it he's, he's got to play big absolutely. league games and he's got to be at the plate absolutely with if, if the injuries to Schrock and Drury end up being something do you think that we could see uh, Aleo Lopez get another shot to come in here and maybe get some playing time and establish himself it's possible yeah I think uh and Miguel Hernandez is probably the guy as a shortstop that would be that would profile in a way that, as a stopgap option, but now you're talking about you know 40 man moves and um, I don't know. I, I think that's an excellent question. Um, you know, Lopez can clearly hit. You know, he's done that at the minor league level. You know, he certainly made a splash when he came up with the Reds. A good contact hitter. Um, I, I think that's possible, uh, but I think the the hope is that Solano. Uh, I think the initial prognosis they were saying two to four. Um, the Early feedback the next day was that he rebounded better than they had hoped. I saw him today and I spoke with him briefly um, that it would be closer to that two week span than that four week span. Uh, but then Tommy Thrall asked David uh, if he would need rehab games. And he said, probably not many because he's had the spring, but uh, yeah, he probably would need a few to at least get some at bat. So that's going to pad a little bit more time until he would have that return, you know, three to five games, whatever that might be. Um, I, I think that it's, the time span of how long they're out or would project to be out is going to inform everything about the, the domino decisions from there. Um, to me though, I think the biggest uh, positive surprise was what's happened at backup catcher. I mean, Tyler Stevenson is such a known commodity. He looks great. Um, he's hitting great. He's framing great. He's got a slightly more erect stance. He's, he's up a little bit more. Um, and the thought is to use his athleticism a little bit more behind the plate. Uh, but working with a younger staff, he's going to see a big spike in innings. I don't think we'll see the real test for him until the last third of the year. You know, I, I think through July, I, I anticipate to see Tyler Stevenson. And we saw him turn on a ball that he yanked down the line a couple of nights ago out here in Arizona. I think that's another step for him at the plate. 
He has that easy, natural, opposite way stroke that works great. Uh, he's going to start to get pitched. You know, they're going to pitch him in. That's what's mm-hmm. going to happen. And he doesn't have to pull every ball. But I do think if he can pull one or two a week to show, yeah, I can turn on this and go for a double or a home run, and then they start to move away again and lean into his natural strength, which is going to see that ball not go off the wall but leave the stadium more and more as time goes on. Um, He's an excellent hitter. He's got that slow heartbeat. He's made for big moments. He and Jonathan India both, I thought, were incredibly poised and composed. Uh, Now they will be in different roles. They're they're not the complementary parts to a Winker Castellanos lineup. You know, that Joey Votto is certainly still there and he looks awesome this spring. Um, but they're going to be expected to do more. It's not found money. It is, you know, you are a core part of the lineup. But Aramis Garcia is the backup catcher. He has had an amazing spring. Uh, he's looked good defensively. He has hit the heck out of the ball. I mean, I, I would have thought that Andrew Knapp, based upon more big league time, mm-hmm. uh, probably profiled as the dude. And then Nick Crawl told us today that apparently he has a, an opt-out in his deal. Uh, so that was something that we were waiting to see what's going to happen with him roster-wise, uh, which I think sheds an even bigger spotlight on the fact that it looks like, you know, Aramis is, uh, Aramis rather, is going to be the dude. Um, he does have a prior relationship with David Bell when he spent a year as the VP of player development with the Giants. He was coming up as a prospect, spent most of that one year at double A, did see some big league time that year. Um, and his scouting report at that time, that's several years ago, big power, uh, solid defensive player, strikes out a lot. Play discipline was the issue. This spring, he's looked great. It's the spring. Will that translate in the big leagues? I don't know. But we're not. I don't think we're looking anywhere near like the split we did last year where, you know, Tyler and Tucker were pretty much 50, 50 once we were a month plus into the season. Um, Be the guy and Aramis is going to play around him to some extent. He could be a really good bench back. You know, he could be an option for power to bring in in a big spot. Um, And depending upon how he had a turn at DH, maybe you see him get, a game at first base like he did last year once every, you know, nine or 10 days or so to keep his bat in the lineup, keep him on the field, but not have the same wear and tear on his legs and give Joey a day off now and then. Um, I think that's incredibly interesting and, uh, and burying the lead, but India and Votto on that right side, I mean, they, they look great. India's put on pretty good amount of weight. I think it's good weight. Um, he's confessed that he had a hard time maintaining weight last year. He said by the end of the season, he got down to 185. It was the lightest that he's ever played at as an adult. And uh, so part of the thought process was get bigger, not just to get stronger and to do more damage in games, but recognizing he's going to lose weight in spring training. He's going to lose more during the year, be as strong as he can be at the end of the year by putting that weight on, on the early side. And if there's anybody who out of the womb, would know how to lift and put on weight. It's that man. If you've seen his father who still lifts four hours a day. I asked him it the other day. Crazy. His dad lifts four hours every day. That is crazy. Listen, John, you've been so generous with your time. I really do appreciate you before we get you out of here. I'm curious, what's the broadcast booth going to look like this year? Is it the same setup as last year with Barry at home and Chris on the road? Or what are you guys doing this year? It is uh, the biggest difference is that we'll actually be on the road. So we'll get a chance to travel with the team. We won't be out of the office in downtown Cincinnati while the team's on the road. We will be in the booth, in the ballpark where the Reds are. 
but yes, to my knowledge, the basic plan is that Barry would be on most, if not all of the home games, that Chris will be on the overwhelming majority of the road games. Uh, the Cowboy would do his 25 games. Uh-huh. And I, I assume when Cowboy does that on TV, that Chris would then go over to the radio side with Tommy for those games. So I think you'll wind up hearing Chris, I would guess, on every road game, whether it's radio or TV. Um, and then, and Sam LeCure will occasionally do some innings. Uh, that's still ex- exactly when or how is kind of to be determined, probably not right out of the gate, uh, but he will spot now and then probably more on the back half of the schedule and uh, be part of the game crew as well. All right. Well, he is John Sadak. You can watch him every night. The Reds are on TV, Bally Sports, Ohio. He is the play-by-play voice, uh, along with Barry Larkin, Chris Welsh, and all those other guys he just mentioned. John, thank you so much for being here. It's always insightful, and I appreciate you uh, always being so giving and, and being a friend to the podcast. Thank you, my man. Be well. Appreciate John taking time to talk with Steve and break down this Reds roster. Man, I am so pumped. Just like Steve said, I man, I'm feeling really excited about opening day tomorrow. It's tomorrow. Baseball is back tomorrow. Which, by the way, thanks for making Lockdown Reds your first listen of the day. Now make Lockdown MLB your second listen as you get ready for baseball season. Sully has you covered with his unique take on Major League Baseball past and present. You're going to want to check it out. That's Lockdown MLB, just like Lockdown Reds, free and available on all platforms. Hey, look, opening day, it's one day away. Can't wait. We've got a lot of baseball action on tap. We've got a lot of content for you coming this season, so you're not going to want to miss it because we are Locked On Reds every single day. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.